Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We are in Proverbs tonight via First Chronicles chapter 22. Great study tonight. I can't wait to share it with you. Um, in, the, in the days um, pre-modern warfare, before there was um, tanks and Humvees, back in the days when they used horses and chariots and things for, um, for battle, when, when one side of, of, a, of a contingency would prevail over the other side, uh, one of the things that they would do, because they, they, they would have all these horses and all these dead men, and they didn't know what to do with the horses, and they didn't want to leave the horses so that the enemy army would have resources, but they didn't want to kill the horses because the horse, it's not really the horse's fault, you know, why, why people are fighting with each other. So what they would do is that they would ha- do something called hamstring the horses. And so they would just kind of slice one of the tendons in the rear of the leg, and the horse would then live... Uh, with some quality of life, but it would no longer be able to in, be in battle. And so they would hamstring the horses to kind of incapacitate them from doing any further damage. And so tonight what I want to talk to you about is how to hamstring a sloth. That is actually the title of the message, How to Hamstring a Sloth or uh, Incapacitate, which kind of sounds like a paradox, because why do you need to hamstring something that doesn't do anything Anyways, but you'll find out eventually uh, as we move through our study tonight. But I want to introduce you to two more characters that are, are, are front and center in the book of Proverbs. Uh, one of them we saw a glimpse of in the shadows of last week's study. Uh, this character that we meet consistently throughout, his name is Diligence, or the Diligent Man, or the Diligent Woman. Um, And then the other character is the nemesis of the diligent, and that is, of course, the sloth, or what's much more fun to say, the sluggard, as he is sometimes referred to uh, in the the book of Proverbs, this whole thing. Um, And so you see the diligent and the sluggard, uh, and so we're going to talk about those things tonight. One of the uh, amazing things about spiritual life, and I think it happens even often as we go through the book of Proverbs, is there's this, there's this kind of tension of seemingly opposing forces. And let me give you a for instance on that. If you uh, read um, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, there's like a direct contradiction in those two verses. In verse 4, it says, answer a fool according to his, or answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And so you look at that, you say, okay, don't answer a fool when they're spouting out their foolishness because then you're just validating them and you're yourself becoming like them. But then you read the next verse, and the next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. It's one of those times where you go like, well, now I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do because I was just told not to, and now I'm being told to do something. It seems like they're opposing truths. And so there's this tension that kind of exists between these two things. And you think, well, I'm not really sure exactly which one of those I'm supposed to do. And the whole idea is, is that there's truth in the tension of those two opposing things. And so the truth that exists in that tension essentially is that you can't win with a fool. Whether you answer or whether you don't answer, you lose. You're dealing with a fool. And so there's the truth. That's what's being displayed there in that tension. And that happens often in the Bible, that there are things that seem to be opposing each other. There's these things that you think, well, both of those things can't be true, and there's this tension between them. And and sometimes the truth that is being portrayed is in the tension that exists between what seems to be opposing points or things that are saying. And so as we look at these two characters, the diligent and the slothful, it is yet another instance where there is tension in the Bible. Because these two characters both exist, they live on the same planet, but they live in different worlds. They're so different And yet, here's the part that's difficult, is that they both exist in the same body. So these two things that are so diametrically opposed to one another, both of them live inside you and me. And that creates tension. 
And there's some truth in that tension that instructs you and I so that we know how to live our lives the right way. There's other places where there's uh, tension. And I don't know if, if you, you know, can, can sense or feel the tension that exists between those two in your life. I know that I can. I, I know that there's a part of me that when I see my kids, I know that I want to capitalize on every possible moment that I have with them because I realize I'm not going to have them for all that very long. But there's another part of me that seems equally as strong, if not stronger sometimes, that just wants them to go to bed early. <laughs> you know, that, that's a very real emotion that I have. There's a part of me that really wants to wake up in the morning and go to the gym and hit it hard. But there's another part of me, equal and sometimes greater, that just wants to take another rest day. <laughs> you know, There's a part of me that wakes up and lives to add value to people, that motivates and drives me. But there's another part of me that seems equally as strong that never wants to see another human being again. As long as I live, you know, and, and there's a tension that exists. I don't know if you can relate to that or if maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> there's tension in other places. There's tension in our life, uh, even in the deepest desires that every one of us have. All of us are made in the image of God. And so there's some universal uh, facts that, that apply to all of us universally. We have, I have and you have, uh, an aching desire for freedom. We long for freedom. We want to be free from chains, restrictions, controls, non-chosen responsibilities. That's something that's inside of us. That's a drive. There's another drive, equally as strong and equally from God. That is, that we have a desire for purpose or reason. And that is that we want to be productive. We want to make an impact. We want to feel like we're doing something and, and we, we are constantly living under this pressure that there's something inside of us that needs to get out. And that that's the reason why we're alive. Even if we don't know what it is and we can't define it in words. And sometimes there can almost seem like a tension between those two things because, you know, it's kind of like, like Jesus, right? He was the freest of all. He could be brought into subjection by no man, and yet he was chained to his father's will. He said, I do always those things which please the father. So there was freedom, but there was chains. We look at the apostle Paul, and we see him, and he wrote of liberty. He said to the Galatians that it's for freedom that you've been set free. He talks about the redemption that Jesus gave to the world, and he speaks of the freedom that that afforded all of mankind in the most passionate language that humans can use. But at the same time, he saw himself as the prisoner of the Lord. And there was a chain that was holding him to his calling. And so there's this tension that exists between the freedom that cries out from within our very nature and the chains of something that God has placed in us that we're bound to because there's something that we've got to produce. And there's a tension that exists between those two things. There's a tension that exists in the very call that we have as the people of God. Because we are called as the people of God to rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. And there's this rest. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, it says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And so our very calling is to come into rest, but yet at the same time, we have an equally strong calling to be diligent, to be busy, to be laboring, to be working, to be moving, to be going somewhere, to be energized, to be empowered. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in the varying context. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And so we have this commission. And so there's this thing that calls us to rest. But there's this equally thing that's calling us to move. And sometimes there's a tension. But there's truth in the tension, and it's important that we understand it, these things. And so as we look at these two 
tense creatures that both live inside of us. This sluggard and this diligence that are both inside of us vying for something, what we realize is that they both want the same thing. It's the only thing they have in common. They have nothing else in common. They have one thing in common. And that is that what they want is they want satisfaction, they want freedom, and they want rest in the biblical sense. That is completion. That's what they want, these two things. But the way that they go about obtaining what they want is worlds apart. Because the sluggard in us wants to obtain that by doing nothing. And the diligent in us knows that we will not obtain it that way, that we obtain it by working, by moving. So both want the same thing. Only one will obtain it. And here is the spoiler alert. Guess who wins? The diligent. And we're told that outright. It's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. Solomon, the wise man, he says that the soul of the sluggard desires, so he's hungry, he wants something, but has nothing. He's not going to get what he wants. But the soul of the diligent will be made fat. Not, not the body, but the soul, meaning the thing inside that's desiring satisfaction and freedom and completion and purpose and rest that the diligent one is going to be the one that will obtain it, whereas the sluggard will not. Now, Solomon is no stranger uh, to the tension that exists between these two. If you turn and look at the text that I asked you to turn to, First Chronicles chapter 22, I want to read to you uh, beginning in verse 5. And this is what David said to Solomon as Solomon was being handed the baton. David was the king. Solomon assumed the crown. And so David spoke to Solomon, and it says this in verse 5. It says that David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceeding mag magnifical of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, you have shed blood abundantly, and you have made great wars. You shall not build a house unto my name, because you have shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of what? Rest. And I will give him from all his enemies round about him, for his name shall be Solomon, that means man of peace, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in those days. And so Solomon, his very name, his very entrance upon to the scene, his whole life was to be defined as being a man of rest. That's one half of the tension. But watch this, verse 10. It says, he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and prosper you, and build the house of the Lord your God, as he have said unto thee. Only the Lord give you wisdom and understanding, and give you charge, that means leadership, concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God, then you will prosper if you take heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. Don't be put off. Don't be discouraged. Don't sit down. Now behold, in my trouble, said David, I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and you may add thereto. You can gather even more supplies. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber, and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. Now, I love verse 16. It's our last verse in the passage. He says this. He says, Of the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron, there is no number. You have a limitless pool of resources to pull from. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with you. He doesn't say, get started. He doesn't say, make a plan. 
He doesn't say work once in a while. He says arise and be doing. Be in continual motion. If you look at 1 Chronicles 29, two verses, verse 20 and 21, some of the last words of David to Solomon, David says this. It says that David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And behold, the courses of the priests and of the Levites, they shall be with you in your service for the house of God. And therefore shall, or, and there shall be the... With thee for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man, for any manner of service, also the princes and all the people will be holy at your commandment. Now, I love this because it illustrates the tension. He's a man of rest, but yet he's called to be diligent. And Solomon wrote more about diligence than anyone else or any other time in the Bible. In fact, the word is only used 15 times, and seven of them are in the book of Proverbs. Solomon understood the place of and the importance of diligence in the life of any human, but especially in the life of God's people. He understood this. Now, I want to give you a quick character sketch of these uh, two people that we're all too familiar with, this uh, sluggard on the one side and the diligent. And then I want to talk about the tension that's in uh, the truth concerning or the truth that's in the tension concerning these two people. So let's talk first of all about the worldview of these two people, the sluggard on one side and the diligent on the other, the worldview. The worldview of the sluggard is that the best things come to those who wait. The worldview of the diligent is that the best things come to those who work. The worldview of the sluggard is that it will never happen if you don't start. But the worldview of the diligent is that it will never happen if you don't finish. And there's a world of difference between the two of those things. I don't know if you have any unfinished things in your life that you're waiting to get that small item called a round to it for, you know, but uh, there's um, many of those lacking in the lives of those that are slothful and somehow the diligent seem to find them all the time. The worldview of the sluggard is that I have all day and the worldview of the diligent is that I have right now. The worldview of the sluggard is that elitism is elusive. It's imparted or inherited. But the worldview of the diligent is that elitism is an illusion. Pass me that shovel. There's a big difference there. In fact, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11 illustrates that uh, amazingly. It says that he that tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he that follows vain person is void of understanding. In other words, the person that realizes that I have got to be busy with what I've got to work with, that person is going to be satisfied. There's going to be something that comes out of that life. Whereas the other person that says there's no point in doing that, I'm going after the get rich quick, I'm going to follow you know, whatever the latest trend is to try to make something happen, following vain persons, that person is going absolutely nowhere. But it's the diligent that's actually going to prosper in the long run. The worldview of the sluggard is to play it safe. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13, it says that the slothful man says, there's a lion outside, I will be slain in the streets. In other words, if I take a step and I do something and I try to be productive, then there's risk involved. And I could lose my shirt or lose my life or I could be wounded or hurt. And so it's better to just stay inside today. It's a play it safe mentality. But the worldview of the diligent is that they play to win. And so they're going to do what it takes and they're going to take the risk that's necessary and realize that a lot of the risk is actually myth. The worldview of the diligent, I'm sorry, of the sluggard, is that I don't have what I need to do what needs to get done. But the worldview of the diligent is that it's all here, I'll figure it out. Another verse I love, Proverbs 13, verse 23, it says this. It says that there is much food in the tillage of the poor, 
But there is that is destroyed for a lack of judgment. In other words, the tillage is the field. It's what you would till up. It's the garden. It's the hand that you've been dealt. It's what God has placed inside of you and the resources that you've accumulated thus far to where you are right now. And what Solomon is saying is, is essentially that you have what you need right now to make something of your life. That you don't need anything else added to you from this moment to make something happen. That's what he's saying. There's much food already in the tillage of the poor. It's there. You just got to find it. And he says, but there is some people that are destroyed for a lack of judgment. Is that they look at their land, they say, well, this is a worthless plot. I can't do anything with this. And thus they are destroyed. They go into destruction. You know, we have... Uh, a piece of property that we bought, and um, I, I don't know who owned, I do know who owned it by name. I didn't ever meet the people, but I think that they, they, they used the land that we live on as a landfill at one point, just personally. In fact, there's old satellite photos where you can see it looks like when they had garbage, they opened the front door and they just threw it out because there's garbage bags everywhere. And I could, I could tell stories about the things that I have found in the soil, just raking leaves. I have found a headless talking Pee-wee Herman doll. Remember those? I found a headless talking Pee-wee Herman doll. I was like, this is sick. You know, who would even have this, you know, to begin with? We have found garden tools. I found the chassis of a 1970-something Volkswagen bug buried, surface deep in my... I mean, it is unbelievable what's there. You'd never know that any of that was there. And that's what it, some, some people's lives are like that, is that there's things there... But because we can't see it right on the surface, we say, well, I just don't have what I need. There's much food. I don't have what I need. The, the, the diligence, I'll figure it out. The worldview of the sluggard is that I'll lay down to enter rest. But the worldview of the diligent is that I will labor to enter rest. In fact, that's actually a verse we'll get to in a bit. The worldview of the sluggard is that the truly free person has no chains. But the worldview of the diligent is that the truly free person chooses their chains. And there's a world of difference between the two. How about the ambition? What drives, what motivates the sluggard and what motivates the diligent? Well, first of all, the comfort and convenience of life motivates the sluggard. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. It says, Jamie... He doesn't have 20 verse 4. I have 20 verse 4. It says that the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore will he beg in harvest and have nothing. In other words, that the slothful person can always find a reason if it is outside of their comfort level or what's convenient to not do something that needs to be done. And the result of that is that they will beg in harvest. Now harvest in the Bible is not a season of the year. It's a season of your life. And so the sluggard is not going to be diligent during their productive years, and thus they're going to miss out on what is to be their advantage in their later years. Also, the ambition of, then the, um, of the diligent is that they're driven by completing a task or conquering an enemy. I love what David said to Solomon. He didn't say, Solomon, get started on the temple. He said, finish it. He began by saying, finish let that be your mindset, is that you're going to complete what it is that you set out to do. The ambition of the sluggard is to make it to the pillow at the end of the day. The ambition of the diligent is to make it to the goalpost, to get to the destination. The ambition of the sluggard is to do just enough, but the ambition of the diligent is to do whatever it takes. I remember when I worked in the union as a, a carpenter and then later in other things, I remember that, you know, union guys are, are not paid to produce, they're paid to show up. And so there was a, a saying that would be used amongst the union guys, and that was, don't get dirty till 1030 <laughs> and nothing new after 2. And that was the mindset. It was not a mindset of let's get something done, let's do something with our lives. It's let's do the bare minimum of what it takes to maintain a steady paycheck and then let's go home and do what we want. Let's just do enough. But the mindset or the ambition rather of the diligent is that we're going to do what it takes. The ambition of the sluggard is to find the path of least resistance but the mindset or ambition of the diligent is to get her done at any cost. 
Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, it's a favorite of mine. It says this. It says that where no oxen are, the crib is clean. Or to put it in a modern context, where no children are, the house is clean. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but much increase is by the strength of an ox. In other words, some people will say, well, if we, if we put an ox in here, we're going to have to clean up after it, and so it's not worth it. And so they're looking at the inconvenience of maintenance rather than the productivity of having the tool in the shed. And so uh, the, the, the sluggard will find the path of least resistance, but the, the diligent will do what they need to do to get it done. The ambition of the sluggard is to reap bread, but the ambition of the diligent is to reap seed. And again, a world of difference. Proverbs 12, 27, it says that the sluggard or the slothful man roasts not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. In other words, the person who is slothful, when they get something, money, an inheritance, they obtain, you know, the contract comes in, they don't even know what to do with it. And so they take it and they set it aside, like someone who shoots a deer, and then they just let it rot, and they never put it in the freezer or package it up. They, they don't even care. They don't know what to do with it. But the substance of the diligent, they get something, and they say, what can I now do with this? How is this a tool that will serve me to move me on forward? It's the mentality of reaping bread versus reaping seed. So the sluggard has no purpose. They have no reason. They're unmotivated. Their sole ambition is just survival. I just need to get through this day. How about the activity of the two? The activity of the sluggard is to procrastinate, but the activity of the diligent is to proceed. I'm going to do it now, whether I feel like it or not, not the mentality of the sluggard. The activity of the sluggard is to think about it, but the activity of the, the diligent is to do it. The activity of the sluggard is to evaluate but the activity of the diligent is to activate. Uh, interesting passage. I'm going to skip it. It's Proverbs 26, verses 13 through 16, but it kind of gives you a snapshot of the sluggard. And what it essentially says is that the sluggard has excuses, ideas, and answers, but no action. And so they're constantly doing I will share this one. Proverbs 19, verse 24. It says that the slothful man hides his hand in his bosom but he will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Now, the hand in the Bible speaks of your labor, your work, what you put your hands to, the faculty of productivity. That's your hand. And essentially, the sluggard will put it in their bosom. It means that they just think, what should I do? What can I do with my life? What can I do with my time? What can I do in my, this decade? And they're just constantly thinking. They're thinking. They're thinking. But they'll never take their hand out of their bosom and actually do something, even if the thought formulizes. So they have ideas, they have things that they could do, but they never do any of those things. It actually says in Proverbs 26, 25, that the slothful one hides their hand in the bosom, and it actually grieves them to take it out again. That they, they, they can't even do it. Did I give you the wrong thing? I did. Anyway, it says that somewhere in Proverbs 26, it says, there's a lot of verses. You've got to cut me a little something, right? <laughs> you know, uh, but, it, but it grieves him to put his hand back to his mouth again. And it's an interesting thing. I was listening to an, uh, an interview that someone was interviewing Andy Stanley. He's the son of the great preacher, Charles Stanley. Uh, and he leads a church down in, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia called North Point. And it's massive. I mean, it's just massive church. And they have campuses all over the place and ministry all over the place. And they have an amazing team of people that serve. I mean, you're talking in the hundreds of people that are staff members. And he was being interviewed. And, and he was being interviewed about uh, how he chooses people or who he hires or the kind of people that he wants serving alongside of him. And he said, he said these words in a profound, it stuck with me. He said that I will take a doer over a thinker any day of the week, even if the doer isn't that smart. He said, because what I've learned is that it's easier to, mo to, it's easier to educate a doer than it is to motivate a thinker. And the sluggard has a tendency to put the hand in the bosom, always be thinking, but never actually do anything. They don't put their hand to anything. Their activity is idleness. How about the diet? 
We've talked about um, how, how they have an appetite. They want success. They want happiness. They want, you know, they want the same thing. But what, is, what do the two eat? What does the diligent feed on? What does the sluggard feed on? The sluggard feeds on anything that excuses a lack of achievement. They actually feed on it. So a sluggard will feed on excuses. If there's a reason why not that will get me out of the task and let me off the hook, then that delights me. I, I'm filled. That fills me up. Sluggards actually feed upon failure. There's a sweetness to failure. Now, failure is normal. Everyone fails at things that they do. But someone who is slothful delights secretly in failure because somehow it validates them and it lets them off the hook. It's a payoff. The payoff is incapacity. They feed on resistance. When there's something that's stopping them from moving forward, an obstacle, it presents them again with the excuse. They feed on addictions, things that will mimic the feeling of success or achieving, you know, a high, a euphoria, a sense of accomplishment, but they've not actually done anything. They'll feed on distractions. They love distractions, anything that will divert them from doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing at that time. I have to ask you, as I ask myself, how many of you leave your email open while you're doing your work? Dangerous, right? How many leave the internet browser open while you're supposed to be working? It's a dangerous thing because it's a distraction. It's pulling us away. They feed on amusements. They feed on the pursuit of pleasure. Here's a good one. Many people, slothful people, actually feed on sicknesses and weaknesses and infirmities. They, they actually take delight in it because somehow it lets them off the hook. It validates the fact that they're being idle. And so they, they feed on it. There's, a, there's something sick about it in, in it, which we'll talk more about later. Um, uh, all of those things represent an absence of hope. The slothful person all of, all of us, if, if we have that in us, it's an absence of hope, is that we have no hope. Now, the diligent, what do they feed on? The diligent feed on hope. They feed on promise. They feed on faith. They feed on victory and accomplishment. They feed on improvement. They feed on opportunities. They feed on the expense of productive energy. They feed on solving problems, facing challenges, and overcoming obstacles. That's what diligent people feed on. When those things come, the diligent rise up because they desire to move forward. How about the conditions that surround the life of the slothful and the diligent? The conditions that surround the slothful, first of all, is stagnancy. There's a, de there's a deadness. There's a lack of movement. There's a deep fatigue. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15, it says that slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. There's a fatigue that will come over the life of a person who's stagnant and not moving. It says that an idle soul will suffer hunger. Depression is often characteristic of someone who doesn't want to move. That doesn't mean all depression is because of that, but it can be and often is. It's a swamp-like environment. A swamp is where there's everything flowing in, but nothing flowing out. And that person ends up immobilized. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 19. Listen to this. It says that the way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. That they come up and, and they, they're, they're stuck. They're immobilized. They can't move. If you've ever been caught in like wild rows, that's what happens. Every movement like stings. And so you're just stuck. My kids, we have more wild rows on our property than I've ever seen anywhere. And my kids, you either play in wild rows or you don't play outside. That's kind of how it is. And so they have this thing that they created. These are my two younger boys, uh, eight and six. And they created this thing called the Thorn Dome Dare. <laughs> And here's what they did is that they cut a path through the thorns and it's like a dome because it's all overgrown. And so they have this big dome, this cave that they cut right through and all of the clippings of the thorns fell on the ground. And so the thorn dome dare is can you make it through the dome barefoot? That's the dare. And so Noah, my six-year-old, he came in like two days ago all scratched up and ecstatic. He goes, Dad, I did it. You did what? He goes, I did the Thorn Dome Dare. <laughs> you did what? I did the what? And, and then he explained to me what it was. I said, well, who came up with this dare? He goes, Riley. I was like, oh, sure. Okay, now I understand. Here was the thing that struck me about it, though, is here he is bloodied and, and wounded, but he was excited. And the reason he was excited is because he did it. He overcame 
the resistance and the obstacle. And though there was pain involved, he accomplished something. And I saw the elation that was in his spirit. And thus it says concerning the way of the righteous is made plain. There's a clarity. The, the environment that surrounds the diligent is a lively environment. It's energetic. It's tense, but it's active. It's vibrant. It's stable, and it's clear. There's a clarity that surrounds those that are just moving. And then finally, there's a destination where both will end up. The sluggard, where they will end up, is at square one. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 14. It says that as a door turns upon its hinges so does the slothful upon his bed i love that that reference because you know what a door does a door hangs out that's it just hangs out and it squeaks it complains while everyone who's doing something just keeps walking by back and forth that's what a door does. But, but the sluggard doesn't go anywhere. They just stay right where they are. Oftentimes, they end up mentally ill to some degree, isolated and alone. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20 says that the poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Often there's isolation, and ultimately there's a prison. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24 it says that the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful will be under tribute, that there's a chain of taxation in that thing. And so the sluggard, though they feel they're free from responsibility, yet they're imprisoned by stagnancy and tormented by their own non-productivity. That's where they end up. The diligent also has a destination. It's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. And it says this, it says, Do you see a man who is diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men, average men. In other words, the diligent person is going to continually advance, and there is no limitation to the open doors, the opportunity, or the, the, the experience of blessing that will come into the life of a person uh, that, that moves. So th th there's your character sketch of these two in a 360-degree fashion, looking at every part, what they think, how they are motivated, what they move, what they do, what their life looks like, and where they end up. That is the sluggard, and that is the diligence. So you ask the question, you say, well, I recognize that two of these people live inside of me. I have a little bit of the sluggard, and I have a little bit of the diligent. So where's the truth and the tension, and how do I hamstring the sloth so that the diligent can run? What's the deal? So what I want to do is I want to expose the truth and the tension, and here's where it is. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. It's one verse, it's very simple, and it gives the answer. Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, said this. He said, let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any of you fall after the same example of unbelief. In other words, what the writer is telling us is that the way to experience freedom and satisfaction and a sense of reason and, and, and laying your head on your pillow at night and experiencing life in its fullness is not going to come by sitting down and waiting for it to just come to you or happen supernaturally or have it handed in some way, but rather there is a labor that's associated with reaching that place. When God promised Israel a land, the promised land, it was called the land of rest, there was a diligent command that they were to go in and they were to take it by force. They were to labor to enter into the rest. It was not handed to them. God helped them, but he did not do it for them. And the same thing is true for you and I. God has something for us. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will. And it, that's not the verse. That's my fault. Again, is that 15.5? That's 15.7. Is 15.5 in there? 15.5, take my word for it, look it up, read it. 15.5, Jesus said that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. Jesus' desire, his will for our lives, is that there be fruit that is borne out. See, I told you I wasn't lying. <laughs> I won't lie to you concerning the Bible. I can't. I want to read a quote. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a man named Brownislaw Melon. Mal something ski. He was a Polish anthropologist and he said this. 
He said that freedom in its essence is the acceptance of the chains which suit you and for which you are suited, and of the harness in which you pull towards an end chosen and valued by yourself and not imposed. It is not and never can be the absence of restrictions, obligations, or law and duty. Now, he was looking at that from a secular perspective, and so the thing that he did not see is that the chains are not chosen for us and by us, but they're chosen for us by God who knows what he made us to be. But essentially, what he is saying is that freedom, in its truest sense, is choosing chains according to God's design. And I want you to realize that that's exactly what Jesus said or meant when he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He was not saying that your rest will free you from all responsibility, but rather what you'll find is that you choose and embrace the thing that I have made you for and you will find joy in what you give yourself to because I made you for it. So we labor to enter into his rest and that labor is diligence. We are to diligently pursue what it is that God uh, has for us. So quickly, four things as we close out, four things that anyone can do, whether you feel like you're stuck or feel like you can't or you don't know how or you don't know how or where to start, here's what you can do. Number one is if you need something, if you feel like you lack something, then ask for it. If you need something, ask for it. And I want you to think about Solomon for a half a second. Remember Solomon? What did David say? He's younger, he's young, he's tender, he's a youth. He was a little kid. He was probably 15, 16 years old when the crown was laid upon his head. And he was charged with not only building the temple, but leading the entire nation of whom David had now set up and established. And Solomon, if anyone, had a reason and the ability to make an excuse, it was him. Build the temple. I don't know how. Well, here's the plans, but I'm not an architect. I didn't go to college. Lead the people. Be diligent. Teach them the ways of God. I don't know the things of God. I'm not a rabbi. He could have made any excuse, and he would have been justified and let off the hook for it because of his age. But he didn't do that. You know what he did? He realized that he lacked something. So when God said, ask... He said, God, if I'm going to do what you've called me to do, then I lack understanding and wisdom and people skills, and I'm going to need you to impart those things to me so that I can do what you've called me to do. Now, what did Jesus say to you and I? Now, John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done to you. In other words, God has something for us to do, and he's called us not to make excuses of why we can't, or to buckle under the resistance that we'll face, but rather we're to ask him to impart to us the things that we need. What do you need? Lord, I feel this drive inside of me. I don't know why, but I want to write gaming software. I don't know the first thing about computers. I don't even know if I could turn one on. Then ask, Lord, Put me in the path of the right people. Show me the resources that, that, that I'm going to need to do this because I don't know how to do it. Ask for the things that you need. The second thing all of us can do is that you can move. You can move. Stop thinking. Stop talking. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23. It says this. It says, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tends only to penury or poverty, leanness. In other words, I can move. I don't just talk about it. Do it. <laughs> Mercy. I'm going to keep going. The next thing you can do, number three, is that you can identify your enemies. Listen to this. This is profound. Proverbs 26, verse 9. Solomon says this. He says, a thorn goes up into the hand of a drunkard. A thorn goes up into the hand of a drunkard. Now, again... The hand is the tool of productivity, of diligence. And drunkenness is the pursuit of a given pleasure. And so what he is saying is that there are things that will put a thorn or a disability into your ability to be diligent or to be productive. And what we must be is understanding of what 
thorn has the potential to disable my hand and to keep me from being diligent. Drunkenness is whatever medicates, intoxicates, distracts, distorts, displaces, dilutes, or depletes the resources that I have and keeps me from doing the things that God has. I ask you, what's your favorite distraction? That's the thorn that will go up into your hand and stop your destruction. You know what mine is? This is this crucified me. I read this word and I was like, that's me. You know what it is? Infotainment. Infotainment. I love like useless knowledge. You know? <laughs> just learning like stupid things. You know, sometimes they're not stupid, sometimes they're helpful, you know, but it's just infotainment, you know, clickbait, that kind of stuff. Like that's my weakness, and I have to know that. And I have to be violent with my enemies. For others, it could be gaming, internet browsing, staring at their phone, shopping, spending, spending too much time uh, on social media, watching too much television. All of those things steal our productivity. They're sweet distractions, but they keep us from our purpose, our diligence. And then number four, anyone can do this, is that you can serve the season that you're in. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20 says this. It says that a faithful man will abound with blessing. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Do you know what a faithful man or a faithful woman is? It's someone who just takes the next step. They're faithful. They're steady. You say faithful to what? The answer is yes. You are faithful. You're just faithful. You keep going. You take diligent and consistent steps. You do it now. And here's what you got to understand is that whatever season that you're in, wherever you are right now, is not your destination. No matter what. The season that you're in right now is just a part of the path taking you to where you're going next. And so you keep moving and you serve your season. If you don't serve your season faithfully, then you know what happens? You get stuck in it. And you become like the door that just goes around and around. And so wherever you are right now, you do it with all of your heart. You do it hard. Go hard with what you're doing right now. That's what the diligent person does. You know what happens? Is that things happen. I don't know what things, but things happen. What's the prize for the, for the diligent person? The prize is the glory of God and the enjoyment of life is that you have a sense that you're fulfilling God's purpose. I saw a verse uh, this week that um, blew my mind. It was, it's 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 19. And, and it says this. D this is um, David. He, God said to, is it, did I give you the right thing? Man, this is just not working out. Too many verses for one study. I'll learn from it. Don't worry. It says that uh, David said, Give to Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep your commands, your testimonies, your statutes, and to do these things and to build the, play, the palace uh, for, the, for the which I have made provision. And then, is that the right thing? Um, you know what? This, that's not it. Maybe it is. Here's what David realized. I'll sum it up for you. I'll get you the verse for next week. Here's what David said. He said, I, that God gave me the plans for the tabernacle, and I wrote them down, and it was his hand. And, and the way he said it is just so amazing, because what it means is that David literally, he sat down, and he began to just think through the way that the tabernacle was supposed to look and how it was supposed to be designed. And he actually took the ruler, he took the calculator, and, and made the dimensions. He drew the whole thing up, and then he said, this is the tabernacle that God inspired me to, to draw up. And, and no one ever thinks about it as being David's design. Everyone says it was God's temple, and it was. But see, David did it unto the glory of God. Do you see the connection? And, and so what comes out of our life as we pursue what's in front of us right now diligently is that we feel like we did the work but then we look at it and we realize that it was God that was doing it in us and leading us through it. And so we enjoy it, but it's for His glory. And so His kingdom is built and we get to enjoy it along the way. It's an amazing privilege that we have. It's His glory. In this room right now, right as we see, sit and, and, and listen, there are poets, writers, musicians, there are songs, there's software, there are businesses, athletes, personal trainers, there are pastors, authors, doctors, biologists, engineers, inventors, entrepreneurs, investors, all of those things exist inside of you. 
There are books that have yet to be written, innovations that have yet to be brought out. There are cures to diseases. There are solutions to problems. There is unimaginable brilliance that's represented in the trust of what's in this room. But sadly, most of it will go to the grave with us because we fail to diligently pursue and ask God what it is that he wants to do with our lives, in our lives, and through our lives. I read recently about the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright. They are responsible for the first airplane. They're, because you, you can get on a plane because of their perseverance. They had a conviction that air travel was possible. They owned a bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio, and they built the very first airplane out of spare bicycle parts. It took them seven years and countless failed attempts, but on December 17th of 1903, the first flight was made in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They even relocated to a place where they knew the conditions would, would even be better. And here's why it took seven years and many failed attempts. And here, this is how it applies to you and me, because nobody cares about the Wright brothers. <laughs> They underestimated the amount of thrust it would take to achieve lift. That was their problem for seven years. They underestimated the amount of thrust it would take to get lift. But once they achieved it, they were amazed at how easy it was to keep going. And the thing that often keeps us back from seeing what God wants to do from us is that we underestimate the amount of thrust sometimes that it takes to get going. Once we do, once we get over the hump, then we realize, man, this is life. And, and we go, and there's momentum, and there's energy, and there's strength, and there's health in our soul. It's fat, like the Psalm, or the, the Solomon said. But that initial lift sometimes takes way more than we thought that it was going to. But if a plane can be built out of spare bike parts then the truth of the matter is that you already possess, even right now, everything that you need in order for what God has placed inside of you that is screaming to get out. It's already there. You have it. First Chronicles twenty-two sixteen, last verse. We already read it earlier. I want to read it one more time. David said to Solomon this. He said, Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with you. Listen, the things that you have at your disposal, that God in his power and his authority is willing to impart to those that will ask and be diligent, there is no limit, so therefore arise. Hear the call of Solomon. He's saying to us, be diligent, become diligent people. And whatever it is that you feel that you need, ask of God that he'll give it. You know where it begins? The yellow brick road? It begins and ends. Hebrews 11, verse 6. I lied. This is the last verse. <laughs> I didn't lie. I got it wrong. <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's where it begins. The diligent part begins in our seeking after God's heart, his plan, his will for our lives. And as we do that, he begins to unfold. It spills over into our personal lives. We're diligent about what we allow and what we do. It spills over into our relationships. It spills over into what we do. It spills over into our mind and there's clarity and understanding. And our lives take on the purpose for which God has called them into. Be diligent. Arise and be doing. I'll see what God can do through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go ahead, Brad. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.